one, one word, word for you. Don't you think the law is stupid? Because you're bastard people. Liberals, I hate them so much. Well, we kill you pretty soon. Threat me again! Listen to me, you white-mouthed punk. We've heard just about all we want from you. Thank you. 
Listen to the radio, find out what's going on. Listen to the talk shows and you will find out what's going on. Oh, talk radio? Yes, talk radio. It's so boring, man. It's hard. It's just it's suicide. Mm-hmm. I have an idea now. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Show the man your power, baby. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. Don't you think the law is stupid? The law doesn't apply to us. Oh, it's so good to be back here live on Aerial View on the HoundMYC.com. It's me, Chris T. And joined tonight by a very special return champion guest, Ken Katkin, constitutional professor and scholar at Northern Kentucky University, Simon P. Chase School of Law. Been a while since I've been here, been a while since Ken's been here. But there's a lot to talk about. Specifically, the recently concluded Supreme Court term. So we'll find out just why it was such a fucking disaster. For uh, human beings. Everybody else is okay. Just for human beings. Maybe some animals as well. If anyone knows, Ken knows. Not only is he a constitutional professor and scholar, he's a radio host of Trash Flow Radio on WAIF-FM in Cincinnati, Ohio, Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Listen online, why don't you? Just type WAIF-FM into your nearest browser. Borrow somebody's browser if you don't have a browser. It's been a very strange summer here so far, I'll tell you that. First, we had uh, work done on the house that took three and a half weeks and involved lots of grinding. No, not that kind of grinding. Not the good kind. The kind with grinders. So you can remove loose mortar between bricks because we live in a brick house. And, and, And no one had ever taken care of the goddamn masonry. And it was crumbling and falling out. The water was getting in, and the wind, and the bugs. And finally, we decided to just bite the bullet and get it done. Can you say bite the bullet anymore? Does that require a trigger warning? Oh, it's so ironic, because you can't say trigger warning anymore either. Shit. I'm plumb out of things to say. But what we spent on that could have bought me a nice Econo car. Could have bought us a couple of two or three, four, five, ten vacations. 
So just when that annoyance ended, they started digging up the street outside. And I captured some audio of that today, if you want to hear what, what's been going on here all damn week. Here we go. Now, this was recorded pretty much where I am sitting in the home office here at Aerial View HQ. And uh, it's the kind of sound, kind of noise that you could feel in addition to hear. Because they're just outside. They're not even 50 feet away. And the the ground is shaking because of this crap. And you can't think straight. I'm trying to think straight, and I can't. And uh, how much longer would you like me to subject you to this? Is this good ASMR, by the way? I don't even know if that shit's coming through. Let's go back to this shit. How about that abrupt transition? Man, see, you could tell I'm no longer a radio professional. That would have faded one down and faded the other one up. Oh, well. I'm not even wearing pants doing this show. Uh, I'm going to give out the number here, even though I don't really want to launch Google Chrome so I can take phone calls. But maybe you'll call and leave a message that I can listen to later. Because you know what? Fuck Google Chrome. It's a resource hog. I hate it. 760. Oh, Christ. 4225528. It's been so long since I've done this show, I couldn't remember the phone number. 760 I call AV. In case you're wondering just what the hell this is, this is Aerial View, a show that I started back in 1989 on the airwaves of WFMU, and that's kind of how Ken Katkin and I met. Not kinda, it is. And the. Uh, I used my When the Levy Breaks bed because they mentioned going to Chicago, and we had a very interesting road trip out there. I helped Ken move out to Chicago, low these many years ago. How many years ago was it, Ken? Do you, do you recall? I know I always put you on the spot with oh, this yeah. same it's, goddamn it question. The, it was in the summer of 93, uh, so that's 30 years ago. Son of a bitch. Yeah, 30. It's practically our anniversary, Chris. Whoa, what are we going to do to celebrate? Well, you want to meet in Chicago for some deep dish? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Are you watching the bear by any chance? No, is it is it about someone who's on the Chicago Bears? No, it's about a restaurant in Chicago. It's about uh-huh. a beef joint in Chicago. Beef sandwiches and then it's a whole thing. It's a it's a good show. Track it down if you're ever um uh, longing for Chicago again. Yeah, I was just you up know. there. I I uh, went up there. I saw Yola Tango there just a week or two ago. How was that? That was fun. I always like to see them uh, anywhere, but in Chicago, it's a little bit uncomfortably crowded when they play in Chicago. Iris seems to know a lot of people there, and uh, after the show sells out, like he's a soft touch if people call him and say, it's show sold out, can you get me in? So it always winds up like being super crowded. Do you feel like a sucker for actually buying tickets? I mean, couldn't you call Ira and say, hey? Well, <laughs> the truth is I have done that sometimes. Okay. That's, how, that's how I know what a soft touch he is. But on these particular shows, I managed to get tickets. But uh, last last Hanukkah show in New York, I had to do that. And I know, you know, everybody knows kind of like, it, you know, the, yeah. So it, it becomes, uh, becomes a little overcrowded, but still now, very fun. Knowing Yola Tango as I do, and I've known them a long time, and 
and they are menches. You know, uh, is that the plural of mensch? By the way, I'm not sure. Menches. Um, they probably keep their ticket prices low anyway. The the last time I tried to go to a show, go to see something, I was astounded and appalled by what people were trying to get for tickets. And um, except for X, apparently X is keeping all their ticket prices under like sixty dollars. So good for you, X. Thanks for doing that. Um, but there's a, a Nuggets show coming up at the City Winery, and I'm afraid to go see what they want for tickets. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So, well, and, I'll tell you, Yola Tango in Chicago, even though they always sell out, it hasn't been over about $35. Yeah. See? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what you should pay for a, a, a ticket. You know, The other day I was going down a rabbit hole of memory about when I saw Led Zeppelin in 1977 in Madison Square Garden, and I, I found some images online of the tickets, because my ticket stub is long gone, right? This was back when they would actually tear your ticket. You'd yeah. hand them a ticket, they'd tear it, they'd hand the part back to you. Uh, and, the, and the face value on a ticket, probably a very good ticket, was $7. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I should have kept, I had a Led Zeppelin ticket, um, but I bought a ticket to see Led Zeppelin, and then John Bonham died, and so they didn't they didn't play. And then they said, "Well, if you want to, you know, get your money back, you, you can." Yeah. So yeah, I I gave back my seven dollar ticket, and I got my seven dollars back. But now I kind of would rather have that ticket than have this whatever the that's $7 a collector's item. I I just oh. kept it. And by the way, when that happened to the Who, uh, they still did the show, right? I I had tickets to the Who, and Kenny Jones played drums. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> exactly. There's yeah. the difference between Led Zeppelin. I mean, John yeah. Bonham was so integral to uh, Led Zeppelin. They were like, fuck it. We're not doing this anymore. And yeah, so yeah. I never did get to see him. That would have been the first time I saw Led Zeppelin um, was when I was holding that ticket. Yeah. I can't remember if that was 80 or 81, but it was like one of those years. I was in high school. He died and, uh, in 1980, it. and it might have been right around now in 1980. Yeah, know? probably was. Yeah, yeah that was uh, their, their final album had just come out in Through the Outdoors. Yeah, and uh, not their finest hour, but oh well, what are you going to do? And yeah. uh, oh, he Sweet. died in September, twenty fifth of September, and he was not quite thirty two years old. He was he had just I think turned thirty two or something. So that's that's pretty young. And Pe- he, people used to seem a lot older. I mean, you know, like can you even imagine like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and those? They were all in their thirties. Yeah, like it, se- it seems it seems like they had to have been older, but they weren't. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> when when you drank the way that he did, oh, uh, John Bonham, yeah, John ages, Bonham apparently it. drank four quadruple vodka screwdrivers. <laughs> now that sugar in the orange juice alone would probably put you into a coma. Um, and, and then he continued to drink heavily during rehearsals. Uh, and then he went to Jimmy Page's house. He fell asleep and uh, he never woke up. So he had he had consumed around forty shots. Of forty percent uh, alcohol by volume vodka, and he 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 vomited and choked, and pulmonary aspiration is what took place. So uh, be, maybe if he had been sitting in a chair, he might have survived. But because he was laying down, he died because he drank way too much fucking vodka. <laughs> a cautionary tale. He he was yeah. I mean. <laughs> If there was ever a cautionary tale, it's rock stars who drink and choke on their own vomit. It's just, right. uh, you know, you don't want to be that person. Hey, by the way, <laughs> this is a good segue into the Supreme Court. Of all yep. the current members of the court, who's most likely to drink themselves into pulmonary aspiration? Well, it's got to be Brett Kavanaugh, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
<laughs> exactly. It's got to be. What, what other what other Supreme Justice ever sweared under oath? I love beer. I love beer. Yes. <laughs> him. He yep. did it. Um, you have, and, you know, if you go to our, uh, our my Facebook page right now and see uh, the ad I made for tonight's show, I stole an image off the Internet of the uh, Supreme Court uh, as largely Taliban. Um, let's see. Let's see if we can count who are the ones who are, who've been Talibanized in this photo. I would imagine uh, Amy Coney Barrett is the one with the hijab. And then uh, with the full Taliban beards and uh, whatever the caps are called. Do you know what their caps are called? Is oh, that the, real... the, 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 the like a fez? The headwear? Yeah. yeah. I, it's something like a, yeah. yeah uh, I, don't, I don't know. You got yeah. Thomas. You got Alito. Who else is in there? Let's see. Everybody who's not Sotomayor, <laughs> Kagan, and uh, who's the guy that... Well, that, that that picture is still showing Breyer in there, and he's not, not in there, not in a face, right. but he's been replaced by uh, J- Justice Jackson now. Oh, someone used an old picture. Me, yeah, that's who used the old picture. All right, yeah. So she wouldn't have had the she wouldn't have the Taliban stuff on either. But the yeah, the the six uh, the six uh, uh, Republican judges are the ones that are depicted there with the Taliban stuff on it. Um, now, do you think that's a fair comparison? I mean, the the, the last time we spoke about the court, we we really touched on the whole religious zealotry aspect of it. These are very, very Catholic people. Um, and it's coloring a lot of these decisions that are coming down, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in the, in the, we're going to talk about the decisions that came down at the end of the term, but just to answer your question, I have to use some examples here. The, 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 on the final couple days of the term. So there were two decisions given in, in, you under separate areas of law, and they might seem like they weren't connected to each other. But there's this case that um, from Colorado about this web designer who's saying, you know, I, I need to discriminate against uh, gay people, and any any law that says I can't has to be unconstitutional. And, and the court ruled in her favor. And then meanwhile, um, you've got you know Harvard University in a different case saying, um, you know, we want to we want to admit um, uh, a certain number of minority students. And and you got you know some, some in this case it was actually Asian students saying that was unconstitutional, and the court agrees with them. Now if you, if you just like think you know, roll the camera back a little bit. You know the court says in the one case, you know anyone who wants to discriminate against a minority group such as gay people has to have a constitutional right to do that. But anyone who wants to discriminate in favor of a minority group, such as, you know, Harvard wanting to discriminate in favor of African-American students, um, the Constitution prevents them from doing that. And it's like, how, how can that be? Like, how can the Constitution say people people have to be allowed to discriminate against minorities whenever they want to, but they're never allowed to discriminate uh, in favor of minorities, even if they want to? You know, and, and I think it, it just you can't really square those two decisions without seeing, you know, that this is a court that basically thinks that all all majorities of all sorts should just be able to be biased and prejudiced and, and take it out on minorities and, and never the other way around. Well, isn't the first decision uh, centered in religion? The hypothetical, by the way, this was a hypothetical business, wasn't it? Wasn't it a hypothetical it was, business? It was, yeah, in fact, not only a hypothetical business, but it, you're being unusually polite, Chris, because you're not always like so polite, but you could say it was a fraudulent business, not just a hypothetical business. Fraudulent business? Yeah. yeah. Uh, with that where this woman said, hey, I, what if I don't want to do graphics for gay weddings? Yeah. 
And so, yep. and used a religious objection, and the court uh, upheld the religious objection, said that because she, the gay marriage didn't compute with her Christian values, quote unquote, she shouldn't be forced to provide yeah. that service. And, and that, she shouldn't be forced to provide that service, but Harvard should be forced to um, admit more white students than it wants to. And, uh, um, and and actually, she although she did make the religious argument, strangely, the the court ignored that argument and. Uh, the court did not say that they um, were deciding this based on her religious freedom. They said that they were deciding this based on her freedom of speech. So her, her speech argument, which they actually addressed, was um, she says, well, if, if, if some same-sex couple comes to me and wants me to design um, a, a wedding website for them, well, then that um, website itself, my design of that website will be my speech. The, the website is my canvas. It's it's my uh, it's my notebook. It's my you know I, when I when I design a website I'm speaking, and so they shouldn't be allowed to make me say anything I don't want to say. And the reason I use the word fraudulent, she actually lied and you know demonstrably lied and said. Um, and I know this could probably happen because a couple already you know I'm not even in business yet, but a couple already told me oh if we're a same sex couple and if you ever go into this business. Uh, we we want to hire you to design our, our our website, and in her pleadings to get the case into court, she actually named you know the person who she said you know asked her to do that, and uh, you know eventually once the case was decided and reporters start looking into this more, you know they track the guy down, and he is not um, uh, uh, gay. He's in an opposite sex marriage. Um, he had had some acquaintance with her, but he certainly never asked her to um, design any same sex uh, wedding site for him and she just totally straight up lied about that so that she could claim that this you know could happen yeah and they uh voted let's see six to three along the lines that you would think they would vote yeah uh, the conservative block of roberts and kavanaugh and barrett and gorsuch and alito and thomas yep and did you read any part of the any of the dissents at all yeah, I mean they were they were pretty uh, heated, and they were mm-hmm. they were really saying that um, there's never been uh, you know remember the background here. This is, I have to get a little lawyerly here, but the, the Colorado, where this case came from, actually is a state that has a state law that's been enacted by the state legislature, signed into law by the governor, um, that prohibits businesses from discriminating against uh, customers based on their sexual orientation. And New Jersey, where you are, has the same law. Um, Ohio, where I am, does not. You know, so it already takes like a little bit of progress for um, people who care about non-discrimination to actually, you know, get legislatures to enact these anti-discrimination laws. And, you know, we have it's more common to see anti-discrimination laws that say businesses can't discriminate against customers based on their race or based on their ethnicity, or based on their uh, re- religion. But, you know, it's still kind of a, a newish thing to be able to get state legislatures to, to say you can't discriminate against customers based on their um, uh, sexual orientation. Um, now, no court has ever struck down any law like that. And so what the dissenters are noting is, you know, that here in, in Colorado, we're not on a blank slate here. This is a state where the legislature had already enacted an anti-discrimination law that directly covered this. And there's absolutely no doubt that that this web designer was violating the the state law. It wasn't even contested. Um, And so what she's saying is she has a constitutional right to violate state anti-discrimination law. 
because it just it would be um, she wouldn't want to say anything that wasn't um, anti-gay and bigoted. She wouldn't even want to, um, you know, implicitly just by being polite and keeping her mouth shut and designing a, a wedding website. She wouldn't want anyone to read that as though she somehow, you know, didn't hate gay people. And 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 the court saying, well, yeah, that that's right. You've got a right to ignore all the anti-discrimination laws because if you complied with them, people might think you don't hate gay people. It's so un-American, and, by the way, because the American <laughs> thing to do would be to charge those people thirty percent more. That would be yeah. the American thing to do. <laughs> well, that would still be discrimination. But uh, the uh, um, yeah, but the thing is, so the dissenters said that this is completely unheard of. That there's never been a case in the history of the court where the court found that an ordinary anti-discrimination law that just requires commercial businesses to, to treat all customers the same um, uh, based on some you know particular trait. Um, you know, th- there's never been a case where anything like that was ever struck down before. Did you like, have... Usually the hard part is getting legislatures to enact those kind of laws. But once they enact them, they, they always stand. Who was your favorite at jumping through hoops with their decisions on this, writing their decisions on this? Was it I'm going to go with Thomas. He must have been <laughs> my favorite at, ju- at jumping through hoops. You mean at trying to, to deal to, with the to logical come up with a rationalization for this to come up with a rationalization for this, like some legal rationalization, some legal basis. Yeah. For you that know, Thomas decision. rarely even bothers anymore. Like really? when Thomas writes his opinion, he he doesn't really explain. Um, he, he has a formula he uses every time. So he ignores all cases that have ever been decided before. He ignores all statutes that legislatures have ever enacted. And he says that he knows what the framers of our Constitution would think about this problem. And so, he'll, you know, he'll be like, well, you know, the, the, the framers didn't care about gay people and they they um, believed in free speech. So if we've got a, a free speech claim against a, a gay rights claim, you know, I know the framers would care more about free speech than than gay people. So that's it. So he just doesn't you know, he doesn't even think about like issues like, well, we're living in a, 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 a representative democracy we elect legislatures who run on platforms. Legislatures are allowed to enact laws that the framers might not themselves have enacted. Um, that's that's the basis of democracy. Um, you know, he just doesn't even address that stuff. He just he just basically says he he knows um, you know how the framers thought about things, and so he's just going to dictate that that's the way things are. Yeah, and I'll tell you why he doesn't address them. He's too busy lounging on a yacht paid for by a billionaire. <laughs> And handing out medals on behalf of the Horatio Alger Society. Yes. Yes. There was even some more stuff in the in the Times over the last couple of days going back to the 80s. Did you see any of that stuff? No. What did he do in the 80s? So in a, 80s he stole a Camaro, um, he, didn't he? He wasn't a judge yet, but he was already a high-ranking federal official because he was the chairman of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Right. The, yeah. yeah. And so he was chair of the EOC. And so he was actually, you know, under the coverage of the Ethics in Government Act and actually the even more stringent statutes that apply to executive branch officials, um, you know, which are more stringent than the ones that apply to uh, um, Supreme Court justices and, and even all judges. And, you know, among other things, he, um, you know, he uh, he took a, a vacation to the uh, Bahamas that was paid for by one of these billionaires that was trying to ingratiate himself. And uh, other people who were on that trip, you know, talked about that to the Times. And then when he got married to his first wife, you know, not not to Virginia Thomas, who he's married to now, but his first wife, who's the, the mother of his um, his only child, uh, that wedding was paid for by one of these billionaires. And and he never he never reported any of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, and he was a government official at the time. And this is definitely all, you know, like the kind of, you know, one person giving him a lot of money 
and trying to keep it on the hush hush, you know, because, you know, it's it's to ingratiate it's for, so the donor can ingratiate themselves with him and have preferred access to him and, and corrupt him. I mean, it's it's a pattern that goes all the way back there. And then, yeah, this Horatio Alger Society stuff is is recent, too. Um, just again, just recently came out in The Times. But, uh, yeah, that, that that's like this society that in principle celebrates uh, people like supposedly him who um, came from, you know, modest means and through their hard work, uh, you know, made something of themselves. But um, in his particular case, it just means these people take him on even additional like lavish vacations and, and put him up at resorts and wine him and dine him and fet him and never, never report any of that stuff. Because to them, it offsets the narrative that somehow blacks in this country are disadvantaged from 440 years of slavery. I mean, it it's so twisted. I mean, when you start delving into what goes on here, it's like a Jordan Peele film for Christ's sakes. And yeah. if you really want to see something uh, that dissects, not only Clarence Thomas, but Ginny Thomas as well, who is, in a lot of the ways, p- the power behind the throne, you know, and, and a conspiracy theorist and nut and really thought, you know, the insurrection was a good idea. Frontline, uh, back in May, dropped a documentary, Clarence and Ginny Thomas is what it's called. I highly recommended viewing. Um, watch it like a horror movie. It's kind of like a horror movie. And... Um, but, I mean, look, there, there are other uh, corrupt people on the Supreme Court. Is there ever going to be, apparently they're the only judges that don't have any kind of ethics agreement they have to sign? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, they, they also, it's not like they, they don't have to sign an ethics agreement. They are um, governed by a few statutes that Congress has enacted and that, that do apply to them. So, um, you know, the Ethics in Government Act does apply to Supreme Court justices, and that requires disclosure of most kinds of um, gifts. So, you know, Clar- Clarence Thomas did violate the law when he failed to report um, certain kinds of gifts he received, like like when Harlan Crow bought the house that his mother was living in and paid to fix it up and never moved Clarence Thomas's mother out of there. She's still living in it now. Um, and Harlan Crow paid for um, uh, his his I think Thomas's nephew that he raised as a son to go to boarding school. The, these kind of gifts absolutely have to be disclosed under the Ethics and Government Act that, that does apply to the Supreme Court. And he violated the law when he didn't report them. There, there was some other, you know, more arguable ones. The, the Ethics and Government Act has an exception for um, if, if a justice goes over to their friend's house um, and sleeps there and is fed there. And that does have some monetary value um, that doesn't have to be reported. But he really, you know, rode that one pretty hard because when he went, you know, off with Harlan Crow on this on this yacht, you know, that that isn't actually Harlan Crow's house. Uh, you know, Harlan Crow like treated it as though, well, when I'm on it, it is, you know, and and that's kind of pushing the envelope on whether he fell within the exception to not have to report that. These fishing trips he went off to in Alaska definitely should have been reported. They they were staying in a fishing lodge that, you know, was being paid by the night to keep uh, Justice Thomas there. So I, I think he did violate the, the law that does apply uh, uh, many times. But in terms of the other stuff, there's additional restrictions that are not just disclosure requirements, but that are actually prohibitions um, against taking certain kinds of money that would apply to lower federal judges and to many executive officials. And those um, don't apply to the Supreme Court. And actually, sadly, I think, um, you know, Due to, you know, some some of the media um, wanting to, you know, seem more even handed and balanced, 
Um, I, you know, there, there was some reporting that came out this week about Justice Sotomayor, which I think was very unfortunate because the things she's being accused of are not serious. But I think what's going to happen is that um, because now there's accusations against different members of the court, including Democrats and Republicans, it, it's really going to cement the, the, the feeling on, on the whole Supreme Court, on all nine Supreme Court justices, that um, they don't want any more regulation of any of this stuff because, they, you know, I think their basic thought has been it will do more harm than good, that, that they, they all think of themselves as basically ethical and they all think of ethics rules as things that will then, you know, allow partisans to gin up phony stories and accuse them of being unethical. And so, you know, they've never wanted to you know, give those partisans the um, ability to cite, you know, ethics rules that apply to them. And I, and I do think that's what was going on with this stuff, because I, I don't know if you saw any of the stuff about Justice Sotomayor that just came out. She, uh, something to do with a book that she wrote and a book tour and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she, she wrote a couple of books. She wrote a memoir, which is like autobiography, and she also wrote a children's book. And um, in both cases, you know, she wanted to sell a lot of copies and she went out and did book tours. And she did this you know, at times that the court wasn't sitting, you know, but she would, you know, they're only sitting like six months a year. So she, you know, she sometimes has time to do it and she'd hit the road. And, you know, I even saw her on one of those book tours. She came to my kid's high school here in Cincinnati. Um, they were already out of high school by then, but the high school that they did go to, she came and did a book talk. And uh, um, and so the, the, the scandal, supposed scandal that's being um, cooked up now is uh, and it started, I think, with the Associated Press. The Associated Press is reporting, well, you know, she um, has staff at the court and the staff are government employees and, you know, work for the, the taxpayers and the court and the people and help Justice uh, Sotomayor with her, her work at the court. But they're not supposed to be used uh, to work on her side hustles. And, you know, supposedly the thing is that when she went out and did these book tours, Sometimes she'd have her secretary like call the places where she was doing the book tours and say, OK, um, Justice Sotomayor is going to be there at this certain time. They're expecting this many people. Uh, we recommend that you order this many books because some people are going to buy books there. And so those kind of conversations um, were you know, done by a government employee on government time and, the, and you know, for, for, for the benefit of the book tour. And the AP, you know, I think, is sort of correctly saying, like, you know, technically – that's not so great. You know, the, the uh, taxpayer um, funded government employee who's hired to work on the justices um, um, court work, you know, maybe shouldn't be like, you know, doing doing work, you know, for, for the side hustle. But on the other hand, it's 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 extremely trivial because, you know, what, what people might not realize when they're reading this story is that every single Supreme Court justice, Sotomayor and all the others, they have a, a very, very small staff compared to uh, other branches of government. So a, a Supreme Court justice might have four law clerks who are people recently out of law school who are just working there for one, one year usually and then replaced by the next year's law clerks. Um, and then they might have two secretaries. And that's pretty much it. Right. And all all of the, the justices have that same. The chief maybe has one extra, um, but generally they all have pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And and it takes a lot of work, you know, just to do the court work. And so, you know, the amount of time we could be talking about here that the secretary might have been spending making a few phone calls, you know, a we're probably you know not talking about more than like an hour or two over the course of a year. And B, it's a secretary 
you know, it's not it's every every justice would have had the same number of secretaries. It's not using up any extra resources. And uh, um, and so you could say it's a technical violation. Yeah. But I, I think it's just exactly the kind of thing, though, where like all the justices are going to understand this is a minor technical violation. Right. But, you know, the AP is making a big deal out of it and calling it corrupt. Yes. And I, I think that that means like all of them are going to be like, it's we're not better off not no, having no, rules. We don't need anybody saying, oh, we broke this rule or that no, rule. Ken, nothing you've said is going to keep Fox News from devoting 40 minutes every hour to this. Yeah, and spinning yeah. it the way they want to spin it. But we only have, speaking of 40 minutes, we got about 20 minutes left. And oh, there's a lot more right. decisions that go over. So I just want to quickly go through these and see what you think of the way the votes went. Uh, the opinions went, I should say. Tech yeah. platforms and terrorism, the court ruled 9-0, to zero, so unanimous, that Internet platforms may not be sued for aiding and abetting international terrorism by failing to remove videos supporting the Islamic State. Now, what's interesting about this is the public, by and large, and that includes Democrats, Independents, and Republicans. Republicans, 67% of them felt social media companies can be held responsible Independents, 72%. Democrats, 77%. So this ruling, essentially, this decision is against public opinion. Did you think Yeah, that- it's, it's an interesting one. Um, it is against public opinion. It is, it's a correct decision, which is why it was 9 nothing. And it's, um, it's, it, it, it's a super clear area of law, but it's an area of law that probably should be changed and updated. But yeah. the, the, the story goes back to the year 1996, when Congress passed a statute called the Telecommunications Act of 96. And most of that statute was actually about um, bringing uh, competition into telephone business because, yeah. remember, the telephone business used to be a monopoly run by AT&T. And, and so that was the main gist of that statute. But people had just started hearing about the Internet at that, at that time in 1996. It was a pretty new thing. Most people weren't using it yet. And since they were already doing a telecom act anyhow, the, the the computer industry from Silicon Valley had a few lobbyists, and they, they got into that, and they said, well, look, um, the Internet is this new thing. It's going to be really good for the country. It's going to um, you know create a lot of new business opportunities and new commerce and new wealth. It's going to make it easy for people to communicate with each other. It's a really good thing that the government ought to foster. And one thing that we're worried about out here in Silicon Valley is um, a lot of the way the Internet's going to work is that um, – you're going to have internet service providers that are just providing services, but a lot of the content is going to be made by ordinary people who are going to just put content on the internet. And it's not going to be easy for the internet providers to monitor all that and police all that. So it would be really helpful to the growth of the internet if Congress would say in the Telecom Act of 96 that anybody who's the provider of what they called an interactive computer service, in other words, a service where users can put content up, um, that, that anybody right. in that situation isn't going to be liable for the content that's put up by the users. Okay. And so, so Congress just put that in the 96 Act. And you know, I think the idea was we got this little baby internet. We don't want to strangle it in the crib with lawsuits. Right. Got to let it let it grow and prosper. And you know, that's still the law. They've never updated that law. All right. So, and th- so I'm going to keep moving on because there's a, well, a few yeah. decisions to go through here. There was a related case involving YouTube and whether or not they were protected against any kind of lawsuits. And again, it was nine to zero. There was the fair use of copyrighted works, and you and I did talk about this last time involving a photograph that. Andy Warhol had uh, improperly licensed photograph of uh, yeah. Prince and then uh, made his own artwork from that photograph and sold it. And it's continuing 
to be sold. And the original photographer, was it Lisa Robinson? I forget who the photographer was, but sued, essentially saying, you never properly licensed this. The court ruled that the Andy Warhol estate and Andy Warhol had improperly licensed that picture and that it, um, it, it they needed to pay up for that, essentially. And that uh, the public agreed with. The public was largely on the side of original creators being compensated properly for their work. Yeah, I, I, the photographer is Lynn Goldsmith. And, Lynn Goldsmith. Um, yeah, and I thought the court was wrong. I did not agree with the court on this one. And the two reasons I think the court was wrong, um, one is, you know, in, in fact, uh, Warhol, when he was alive, he did license the use of the photo. Um, you know, he paid it wasn't a lot of money, but mm-hmm. he paid he paid Lynn Goldsmith, I think, four hundred dollars. And he and he got an agreement from her. You know, I'm going to use your photograph of Prince um, in order to dr- use it as a basis for making a cover for an issue of Vanity Fair. You know, will you take four hundred dollars for that? And, and she said yes. And she took it. And uh, um, and then it was only later. After that issue was out, there wasn't any controversy then. You know, decades later, um, uh, Warhol's dead, but um, uh, his estate wanted to make more, 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 reuse that photo for different, um, exploit it for different ways. I can't remember exactly what for, Mm -hmm. but just use it again. Um, So one thing is, I think, you know, she she, um, sold him the use of the photo. But the other thing I think that's also important is, um, I, I, I I think that, you know, most of the actual economic value um, for the Warhol, uh, um, I think it comes partly from the fact that it's um, a picture of Prince and people are interested in Prince and partly from the fact that it's an Andy Warhol and people are um, interested in Andy Warhols. But I, I think almost none of the economic value comes from the fact that it uh, was based on a photograph of Prince that was taken by Lynn Goldsmith. Like, I think really nobody, nobody, nobody cares about that. Yeah. And so, so, you know, I, I, to me, it's like the, the Warhol, um, himself by being Warhol or Prince himself by being Prince um, are the reason people are interested in this. And so I I, I don't I don't see why someone else, you know, gets in there, really. I made a joke earlier about animals perhaps being decided upon during this session. And I wasn't kidding. There was an animal cruelty and interstate commerce decision. The court upheld by a five to four ruling that a California law that sought to address cruelty to animals saying the state could require pork sold there but produced elsewhere to come from breeding pigs housed in spaces that allow them to move around freely. And why wasn't this case front page news? Well, I mean, it came out the right way and the normal way. To yeah. me, To me, the front page news was that it was 5-4. Yeah. Because the, the four dissenters, um, you know, the only real argument they had is they, they hate California and they they hate people who care about animals and want to be humane. And just because they hate those things so much, they, they can't believe that California can pass a law that uh, requires a, a humane treatment of animals. Um, and it was a really appalling uh, uh, dissent uh, because the general principle of law, which, again, you know, you've ne- there's no cases that go the other way on this. It was super well established, um, is that uh, states are allowed um, to regulate, um, you know, what, what kinds of, uh, products can be sold in the state. And, you know, all California was doing is saying, if, if, if anybody wants to sell pork in California, um, they have to make sure that the pigs are treated humanely by California standards. Yeah. And if, if, if people don't want to comply with California standards of humane, don't treatment, sell your pork here, don't sell your pork here. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, all these out of state, um, providers, you know, they weren't stopped 
from from you know using whatever uh, treatment of of pigs is legal in their states and selling their pork in in other states that didn't care. The only thing that California was regulating was what could be sold in California. And, you know, it's it's it should have been a nine nothing case that they're allowed to do that. And even Gorsuch, who was one of the one conservative, one of the two conservatives who crossed the aisle here, because remember, you've only got three Democrats now, but you had five votes in, in favor of allowing California to do this. Even Gorsuch kind of called out the other conservatives on that point and, and said, you know, the, these uh, my, my fellow conservatives are being pretty hypocritical here because they're basically saying, you know, other states should be allowed to regulate what's sold in their state. Um, but California shouldn't be. Um, uh, and I think, you know, one of the um, distinctions that was that was um, drawn by Alito was, you know, Alito was trying to say, well, because California is such a big state that when it regulates what can be sold in California, that's going to have the impact of, um, you know, f- affecting, you know, what the producers do everywhere. And, uh, you know, and, and Gorsuch actually, you know, siding with the Democrats on that point said, well, that, you know, they're allowed to just like any other state. Every state can can say, you know, what can or can't be sold in their state. Yeah. And uh, very interesting bedfellows on that decision. Sotomayor, Kagan, Barrett, Gorsuch and Thomas. So yep. uh, that's yep. your five four environmental protection. The court ruled that the Clean Water Act does not allow the EPA to regulate discharges into wetlands near bodies of water unless they have a, quote, continuous surface connection, unquote, to those waters. Four of the justices also voted against the EPA, but on narrower grounds. Um, and we can only spend a couple of minutes on these until uh, we get to the big ones. Ken, so what did you think of that ruling? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this court has been um, restricting the uh, ability of the EPA to enforce the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. Um you know, and and they continued uh, in that direction. It's been a pretty slow march, but it's been a pretty steady march, and uh, we're going to have um, a lot more um, dirty air and dirty water because of this court. And also, I think another sort of another aspect of those cases, and these are kind of technical cases, but one aspect of it is the Supreme Court. Um, these are cases that are in an area called administrative law, and they they all have to do with how much leeway these agencies like EPA have to to, to interpret um, general laws, and um, they're really erecting a bunch of rules that basically say um, uh, Republican administrations get a lot more leeway than Democratic administrations um, to interpret uh, broad rules, and and so I think that's another. It's another development that people should understand as corrupt. Damn. Uh, okay. Religious employees, nine to zero. The court broadened accommodations that employers must make for workers' religious practices, siding with a postal worker who was disciplined for refusing to work on Sundays for religious reasons. Now, the public yeah, is pretty evenly I, 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 split on no, this. No, you go. I'm sorry. No, no I was saying the public is pretty evenly split on that idea. Yeah, I'm 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 against the court on that, and I wish it hadn't been nine nothing. So, mm. yeah, this postman um, basically said he he's religious and he doesn't want to work on Sundays, and you know he had some facts that were sort of good for him. Like he basically said, "I've been working as a postman for a long time, and one of the reasons I took this job was that postmen don't have to work on Sundays, and I was looking for a job where you don't have to work on Sundays, and I had that job, uh, but now because of Amazon." Uh, Amazon's made these contracts with the post office and the post office has to deliver Amazon stuff on Sundays. And it, 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 it means they have to make people go out on Sundays. And so they've kind of changed the deal on me. And, and now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm forced to go out and deliver Amazon packages on Sundays, even though I have a religious objection. And I think the fact that it, it, the change came late in the game and seemed a little to blindside him probably made the court a little more sympathetic to him. Um, but, 
But the principle, I think, is wrong that the court came to. So they're basically saying, you know, um, you know, because other people who aren't religious, you know, I'm, I'm not. But I wouldn't want to have to work more on Sundays so that other people don't have to work on Sundays. I mean, a lot of people would prefer not to work on Sundays. Yeah. And, to, you know, to have weekends off when, um, you know, because their friends have weekends off and there's more to do on weekends and things like that. So, you know, it is going to put a burden on all the other employees. And I think there was kind of a range of ways that the justices were thinking about that. Whereas, you know, I think the conservative justices are thinking that's good. You know, religious people should have more rights than unreligious people. And well, religious religious people should have a, the, the right to burden unreligious people. Um, I'm a I, member I, of the Church of Subgenius, and I believe you should only work on Wednesdays. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I think the Democratic justices who voted the same way, um, I think they weren't thinking along those lines. But I think what they were thinking was... The, the burden on other employees will be very minor and very trivial because all right, we, there's only you know, a handful of postmen who are really going to not want to work on Sundays. And there's probably enough other postmen out there who don't care. All right, you know, we, they'll just work out. we got about eight minutes left. So um, tribal rights, seven to two. Court upheld the Indian Child Welfare Act, uh, 78 law that seeks to keep Native American children with their tribes and preserve their heritage. And the law did not resolve the question of whether the law discriminated against the ruling did not resolve the question of whether the law discriminated against non-Native families based on race. Yeah, it's this, interesting. Like, um, you know, Justice Gorsuch is kind of at the center of the court on these issues. And he, he, um, you know, like a lot of the conservatives right now, if you ever say that anybody's classifying anybody based on race, they're always going to strike that down now because they, they tend to think, you know, that the classifications based on race tend to help minorities more than they tend to help white people. And uh, they're all for white people. So they they usually get their hackles up a lot about that kind of thing. But with Native American Indians, you, you don't have to think of that as a race classification. You can think of that as, as a classification based on um, tribal citizenship. Um, and some people who have tribal citizenship may even be white or may even be black. Um, and and so it's not doesn't have to be seen as a racial classification. And uh, Justice Gorsuch in particular has really been trying to um, lead a revival of the idea that um, it's it's good to give all kinds of special rights to people with tribal citizenship, even though it's bad to 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 to, to ever um, have distinctions based on on race. And so far, he's been able to you know bring a few of, of the other conservative justices around to that view. All right, three more cases because we talked about affirmative action and we talked about the hypothetical uh, graphic designer. Yeah. gay wedding case. There's three more that I think uh, were part of that session. Race and voting maps where Roberts and Kavanaugh joined Sotomayor Jackson and Kagan in deciding that Alabama had diluted the power of black voters by drawing a congressional voting map with a single district in which they made up a majority. Uh, was that positive for you? Was that a positive outcome? Yeah, yes and no, I'll say. I mean, in the immediate sense, yes. It was, it was a correct outcome. It was outcome I agree with. It's good for the country. It's one that the law requires. So it's good in all those senses. Um, the reason I would only give it two and a half cheers rather than three cheers um, is because I think, um, you know, you have to put it in a context where, um, you know, the, the Voting Rights Act, as it was enacted by Congress, was in, in 1965 and, and strengthened a few times since then. You know, it was a very robust act that pro protects voting rights of minorities in all kinds of ways. And and over the last 
20, 25 years, the Supreme Court has just struck down one provision after another provision after another provision after another provision of the Voting Rights Act so that, um, you know, voting rights for minorities in America today are, are hardly protected at all. The, the Voting Rights Act has been so gutted. And, and, the, and the very, very last piece of it that they had never struck down before, you know, the, the, only, the only remaining uh, operative provision of the Voting Rights Act that could even theoretically be enforced um, after the Supreme Court got through with the rest was the provision that says, well, if a, if a um, state legislature intentionally um, uh, does a step and it can be proved that they had the, the purpose of um, making um, minority voters have less representation than any other voter or less, less ability to affect the outcome of elections than, than any other voter, that can be proved on the facts and you know, after it's already happened and been put into effect, um, then that's still illegal. And so now you have this case where that that's what happened. That's been proved. Mm. Right. You, you've got you've got these states that are, you know, more, more than a quarter African-American. There's an intentional uh, racial gerrymander to make sure that, you know, only one of the eight districts can can possibly um, represent the views of the African-Americans. And and you're going to have white Republicans elected in all the other seven districts, um, which is greatly disproportionate. You know, the state, as I said, is only about 70 percent white. Um, and uh, um and so and, and there was a big trial on this and there was a lot of evidence presented to show that this was done on purpose in order to disenfranchise blacks and make their votes count less than anyone else's. And, you know, actually a Trump judge who was the trial judge, you know, presided over the case and on the facts, you know, said the case was proved. And uh, um, this was an illegal, intentional gerrymander that had the effect of cutting African-American representation in half. So it's a super rare case where it's that clear, it's that stark, there's so much evidence. Um, and all the Supreme Court did is let that stand, right? So, you know, they, they either had to let that stand or else they had to finish the, the task of completely nullifying that last inner core of what was left of the Voting Rights Act and saying there's no Voting Rights Act anymore. So, yeah, I'm glad that they that they let it stand rather than completely finish the job of nullifying the Voting Rights Act. But, you know, I think it's pretty it's too little too late. And I think they also did it in part because they knew that the very next day they were going to decide the affirmative action cases. And I think they, they you know, they're, they're basically ending African-American representation in selective universities. Mm. And, and they and they and I think they wanted to be able to say, well, no, nobody should say we did that out of racism. We we just decided a voting rights case in favor of the minority voters. You know? Oh, but, cover, yeah. cover. All right. Yeah. We got two minutes. I got to get to the state legislatures and federal elections ruling uh they rejected a legal theory that came straight out of maga world that would have given state legislatures largely unchecked power to set the rules for federal elections now from the conservative bloc roberts kavanaugh and barrett joined sotomayor jackson and kagan on the quote-unquote liberal side of the court and this one was dem- democracy again you know hanging in the balance yeah they didn't reject it enough, though, and in, in in that's that's I'll say in my last two minutes. Yes, they voted the right way. Yes, the case. By the came way, out on the, the student right loans ruling, here you go, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Now we can talk about the, this. The problem with the uh, independent state legislature doctrine case that you just asked me about is that they actually did not um, definitively get enough votes to say state legislatures can't um, steal elections. You know, all that they got the votes to say was that. Um, State legislatures can't um, uh, uh, decide after the election comes out that they're that they're then going to change the law to allow them to overrule it. But but if the state legislature would have ahead of time said, 
well, um, we're going to have a, an election in November, and it's going to be purely advisory, and then and then we're going to um, decide after that who who we think the winner is. Um, the the court actually did not outlaw that kind of thing. They yeah. they just outlawed the the idea that there there would be an election that on election day was supposed to be binding. Um, and then and then the legislature wants to change the outcome afterwards. Right. We got so. like 30 seconds. Let me tell you again who our special guest has been, returning champion Ken Katkin of the Samuel P. Chase School of Law, Northern University, uh, Northern Kentucky University, and uh, host of Trash Flow Radio, Saturdays, 3 to 5 p.m. on WAIF-FM. What's the website again? Uh, for, 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 for WAIF-FM, it's WAIFradio.org, WAIFradio.org. Uh, Ken, always a pleasure speaking to you, and we'll talk again real soon, and we'll get in all the other stuff we didn't get in tonight, okay? Thanks. Yeah, man. fantastic, Chris. Thanks always for having like me back. talking to you. And uh, don't forget, this show will turn into a podcast where you can get on all your major podcast platforms, and go to nihilisticbook.com and sign up for my new Substack, all about the book that I am writing. This is TheHoundNYC.com. Good night. You come back no more.